You ready, guys? Let's do it. Let's do this. My name's Kent. I'm your host tonight for episode eight, or episode Yogi Berra. Ugh, a Yankee. <laughs> Come on. Of the Geoholics, a podcast produced by and for GMNX professionals. That new opening track is from my new favorite band, Kohler's. Kohler's is made up of Rob and Lauren, their husband and wife. And uh, first of all, thanks to them for allowing us to use that song. I freaking love that song. Um, but these guys are so unique, and I absolutely love them. Rob's got like this you know, growly voice and plays guitar. And Lauren, who, don't get me wrong, Rob might kill me for saying this, but she's pretty sexy, first of all. But uh, she to, is the I'm drummer. Have to Google that. She's the drummer. And the thing that is so unique about her is she stands on top of what is, it looks like a drum, but it has a solid platform on top. So she's tap dancing as what? she's drumming. She's tap dancing as she, and she's got like three, I don't know, my, my, my drum um, language, I have no idea, but snare drums, I'm going to call them, like three snare drums around her. She's tap dancing and drumming at the same time. Is she tap dancing on a drum? It, well, it looks like a drum, okay. but it's like a solid I was going to say, surface. does it add to the sound? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Yeah, no, super unique. Um, so the name of that song is Dangerous. And again, thank you to them for allowing us to use it. And the lovely Megan and I are actually going to see them on December 6th right here in Phoenix at the Valley Bar. So really excited about that. Super small venue. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. And those guys are awesome. Check them out on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Apple Music. Is that what it's called now? It's not iTunes anymore? Yeah, I think it's just, just Apple Music. Apple Music. Yeah. So check them out everywhere. Trust me, you're going to love them. And of course, we got to plug uh, Studio One, the Geoholics World Headquarters right here. International at, Headquarters. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, at Social Hall. Uh, Social Hall, a couple things I want to mention new is uh, they are Coyotes Bar. So anytime there's a Coyotes game on, come here, check them out. Be drink specials. We're here on Tuesday again. Um, so it's not half off whiskey tuesday it's top shelf tuesday top shelf tuesday yep so top shelf selly boys top shelf selly <laughs> so whiskey um it, top shelf whatever half off so that's really cool and then of course tomorrow is the ten dollar wednesday special it's a craft beer and a uh, a, a gourmet hamburger for 10 bucks which you can't you can't beat so and tuesday the, you come in yep you get the the top shelf hangover, yep. and then you come back for a burger and a beer to cut it off. Bingo. Uh, sounds like a plan. These guys got to figure it out, I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah. <laughs> Work is uh, secondary. Secondary. <laughs> Gets in the way of drinking. It's a four-letter word. <laughs> uh, and the last thing I want to mention, social hall related, is they are having a party on, I think it's November 2nd? Is that, a, is that the first? No, it's the first. The first. So it's a Halloween hangover party, and our friends, Carol Pacey and the Honey Shakers, are playing a show that night here. So we'll be pumping that up here a little bit between now and then and uh, try to get a bunch of folks here. With that, let's catch up with the fellas. Uh, producer Jake. How's it going? How are you doing, my friend? Doing good. I'm just here with a weekly update on our um, on our downloads, our listens. So we just passed, passed 800. And then also we were joking around about international headquarters. Um, just before the show, too, we were talking about on our podcast hosting website, it actually gives us a little map. Um, showing you where the different uh, listeners are coming from. Um, so and I was just messing around with that when I was uploading the last episode. And we have, this is our international. We have seven in Germany, six in Canada, four in Nigeria, and one in Australia. So <laughs> awesome. Studio One really has gone international. Absolutely. See, it's not false advertising. So we like yeah. Guten Tag. Uh, yeah. yeah. How do they say hello in Australia? Is it just <laughs> I hello? I think it's just hello. I think it's <laughs> hey. You got to get the, the accent. <laughs> 
And then Canada, hello, eh? <laughs> but yeah, yeah that's that, right. that was interesting to see, though. So that's super cool. What any idea? What our uh, you said about eight hundred? You said yeah. So literally, right now, as I refresh it, seven ninety nine. So we're gonna probably pass it. You average that hundred a week. Yeah, like clockwork. Him, yeah, I gotta give Melissa on there. That'll be eight hundred. Yeah. All right, Ryan. What about you? <laughs> I cannot report a whole lot. No, it's, it's a boring life being me. Oh, come on. There's uh, got to be something. I know you got something coming up. Aren't you uh, in the market for some new golf clubs? I am going to get the uh, full-on fitting, whole bag, going to blow awesome. uh, the budget right out of the water. I think I got my wife satisfied with the price I want, but let's be honest. If it, if it's going to be more, I'm doing it right. I'm Absolutely. not going to buy them every week. It's going to be a, a life-altering purchase for me. I, will, uh, I shouldn't re- say that about golf clubs, but... I will report back to the listeners, but if you don't drop at least five strokes, it is a complete waste of money. Oh, it is going to be. But I'll look <laughs> awesome playing. I'll be like, look at these clubs. I got to keep up with all these other guys around town that are just making all this money, apparently. Well, as much golf as you're playing. I know. I don't, I'm not even in the leagues. Yeah, at least look the part. Yes, exactly. Fake it till you make it, baby. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> exactly. All right, Kent. Who do well, we have with us here today? Well, oh, no, we got to do a safety share. My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, even before that, we do, have, we do have an announcement to make, actually. Oh, gosh. We have a new member of the Geoholics family. Keeping it a in new the employee. family. We have a new employee. Keeping it in the family. So my daughter, Presley, is has we're, we're still under, in negotiations. Some contractual things are going on. Uh, it's all salary-based, of course. But she has agreed to come on as our director of social media. Is, so, this, is this a six-year contract? We haven't quite worked out the terms. <laughs> lawyers are Jake, talking to lawyers. Is, is Jake or agent? <laughs> lawyers are talking to lawyers. Yeah, yeah. Jake chimes in. So Melissa, who's our guest, of course, you need to know that. So Jake dates Presley, my youngest daughter. So yeah, keeping it in the family, as Ryan said. Yeah. You know, expanding the uh, the the Jake brand, which is pretty funny. booming right now. Have your it's people call buy, my people. Buy some stock now. Oh my god, so funny. So no, seriously, we're super excited to to uh, to have her on board. You know, she's gonna. Definitely enhance our, our Facebook, our social media status in general, but Facebook. And we're, we're, let's be honest, we're old guys. Stuff. We don't keep yeah. up with that as well as exactly. we should. That's why we need the young folks. Okay, safety share. Um, and I, this, this week's uh, safety share has to do with bicycle and motorcycle awareness. And I, I don't at all mean to cast a dark uh, cloud over the podcast, but I got some news this past weekend that one of my former instrument operators um was killed in a one vehicle motorcycle accident so it just kind of made me think about it you know and some people listening are probably like why are you talking about motorcycle bicycle awareness where we are it's about to be winter time and there's none of that stuff on the roads well where we are we are embarking on the probably the best eight months of weather anywhere in the country so we are going to see more bicycles and more motorcycles so just in general i mean just be aware of your surroundings at all time. Um, I, I, I have I have a car that has like those, you know, the, the side mirror indicators. And one thing I noticed is if the motorcycle is like on the outside of the lane next to you, sometimes it doesn't even doesn't indicate it doesn't yeah, catch it. Probably you know? not big enough to get picked. Not up, big enough, but, I know. guess. So, and we're all so reliant on technology. I, I'm completely guilty of it, especially with the side view mirror, mirror thing. Um, just be careful out there. I mean, constantly. Uh, Look around at all times and just just be aware because they're everywhere. And uh, God, the last thing we want to do is have somebody involved in, a, in an accident like that. So, 
All right, let's move on to the meat of the episode. Our guest today is Melissa Cornelius. Melissa is the uh, executive director of the Arizona Board of Technical Registration. Getting big time, boys. That's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. So before we let her talk, um, let's let's do some do a little bit of bio on her. She was born in Boston, as a matter of fact, and also grew up in that area as well as Connecticut. Uh, she went to Brandeis University for her undergrad, and I did a little research, of course, and it's the home of the Fighting Judges, and their uh, mascot is Ollie the Owl, and of course, he or she, I guess I don't want to be sexist, is named after uh, Oliver North. I'll so, say he then. I'll, I'll risk it. I'm assuming. Um, she relieved, relieved, <laughs> she relieved herself. She received her <laughs> law degree from University of Arizona. Go cats. My oldest daughter graduated from there last year, spent way too much time in, uh, in Tucson. Uh, she's been married for 29 years. Congrats on that. Has two grown sons. So I'm assuming they're, uh, either close or possibly empty nesters. I know that, uh, my they daughter's not yet. No, they won't leave. They won't leave. Don't, um, don't judge. Sometimes you got to give them the boot. I home too long as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm such a jerk. You know, both my daughters, I'm like, hey, listen, we're downsizing. When you guys graduate, there's no room at the end. <laughs> Find your own way. It's us and the dog. Or marry somebody like Jake. <laughs> Ooh, putting the pressure on you. That escalated quickly. Um, Melissa, she, she loves to go antiquing. She serves on the board of a local nonprofit called Arizona Cactus Corgi Rescue. Kudos to you on that. I'm a dog person. That's awesome. Uh, she says she spends way too much time trying to renovate her house and watching home improvement shows, and she enjoys traveling. In fact, they just got back from a week in the Pacific Northwest, and in July, her and her family went to Ireland, where driving was a challenge, It's my understanding. We can talk a little more about that. And uh, she has been the executive director of the AZBTR since 2013. Melissa? Kent? Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank Welcome. you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, we're super excited to have you. So tell us about the, uh, first of all, you're not officially an empty nest. So you said you're still working on that. Right. My sons are 21 and 18. And, oh, okay. Um, oh, you got time. Well, yeah. Yeah. don't know, kick them out yet. I still cook and my husband does laundry, so there's no reason for them to leave. Exactly. <laughs> my wife had to drag me out of my parents' house. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so really, I don't judge at all. Get them married, I guess, then. Yes. <laughs> Find a nice woman that'll take care of all of that for you. That's my recommendation for them when they listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they tell me that they'll never introduce any girls to me because I'll just cross-examine them of and course. it's too embarrassing. So. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, that's a mother's job. I know. Well, I have uh, rights. <laughs> you do indeed. I have a vested interest. Yeah, yeah, you got a few years in on this. That's right. Yep, yep. So tell us about the, you mentioned like to travel and you guys went to Ireland. Super cool. Very cool. My mother-in-law is actually from Dublin. So okay. I've been impersonating her for years with her accent. And we just decided <laughs> since, you know, it would probably be our last big family vacation. We're dragging the children. We should go someplace international where they have roots. And it was great. I mean, the Irish people are super friendly. There's Guinness everywhere. Oh. And um, everyone wants to know if you have an Irish connection so we got to tell the stories my son's names are connor and morgan which are gaelic and so that was very popular and um yeah the driving on the wrong side of the road really freaked me out and i always prided myself on learning to drive in boston where people freak out from the driving 
but it's a whole different thing in Ireland where the roads were narrow country lanes that have been made into two-way streets that they allow people to park on both sides. So you're dodging oncoming cars and parked cars at the same time, and there wasn't enough Xanax for me. I had to, I mean, I slapped my face, I'm going to die! And I had to sit behind my husband oh. because I couldn't, I couldn't watch the road. You it was let too him scary. drive and grab a Guinness. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. So yeah, it was cool. The, it, I mean, talk about a million she- shades of green. It was beautiful, really. So I hear it is absolutely beautiful, yeah. though. Yeah. Really, Any, it anybody was. I've ever talked to is like, got to go. I've never been, but it is definitely some something on my bucket list to check out sometime. Well, this Geoholics International takes off. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a remote from that, Ireland. That'll be step one. Yeah. Absolutely. It's probably a business expense. <laughs> we got to uh, have some revenue first. I was going to say, there needs to be any sort of revenue. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise the personal expense. <laughs> True. Uh, that's now, great. being from Boston, a little bit of conversation before this, you, you've moved away there from a while. How many times do you use the word wicked? I use the word wicked and excellent a lot to the point where my kids say that just dates you because nobody uses those words anymore. But I believe they're still used back east regularly and often. Oh, yeah. Wicked is just it's an adjective there. And my wife. Yeah repulsed by it she's like that's not an adjective so you're still hanging in there well i don't drop my r's because my mother was a speech therapist and she hated the boston accent which my dad had and would chronically humiliate me at every opportunity um dating myself by saying we used to go to the video stores together to pick videos and i would go to one section he'd go to the other and all he did because he was from boston was shout across the store did you check the drama section (laughs) and i would pretend that I didn't hear him and I wasn't related to him and then he would come over and pat me on the shoulder and humiliate me and you know face to face but yeah so to blend in you have to learn to drop your R's and yeah it's a wicked pissa wicked pissa yeah (laughs) good oysters though over there that's for sure Uh, I'm not a fan lobster not a fan lobster lobster (laughs) <laughs> All right. So you mentioned your uh, mentioned your dad, um, and you, you're an attorney. I am. I don't often tell people that, so it's kind of funny to hear you introduce me that way because I really haven't technically practiced in uh-huh. about ten years. Um, and I've always been a public lawyer, so I'm not the kind that worries about billable hours or any of that. I was really idealistic growing up, and really felt that my mental acumen should be used to promote the public good. So I never wanted to be a public or a private lawyer. And I went right into basically prosecuting for Maricopa County was my first job. And then from there, went to the AG's office where I advised state regulatory agencies. And I had never heard about that when I was in law school. And what that did was really introduce me to a lot of professions that the state takes an interest in regulating to protect the public health and safety. And um, I've probably regulated doctors, nurses, um, a, a whole retinue of professions until about 2009, my supervisor came to me and said, do you want to work for the Board of Technical Registration? And I didn't know what that was. No one really does. But... Um, learning that they regulate architects and engineers and surveyors and a whole list of other groups considered technical in nature, I thought, why not? And um, went over, really hit it off with uh, my predecessor there, 
who was entering retirement mode and I left the AG's office and became the deputy to the board for four years before he finally retired and then in 2013 became the director. Awesome. So that tells us your path to getting in your current role. That's, uh, did you ever consider being anything else besides like going down the path of being an attorney? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was in school in Boston, I had a great internship between my junior and senior year with Coca-Cola Bottling Plant of New England doing marketing and promotions. And that was great. We got to go to Red Sox games and concerts. And I drove that cool old-fashioned Coke van. We went to Martha's Vineyard and whitewater rafting. And every day was something new and cool. But at the time, the only way they were really hiring was from the bottom up. So my first job offer from them was to drive a Coke truck and pick up the um, the, the bottles that you had to recycle, you mm-hmm. know, with the five cent deposit. And I couldn't muscle them at the time. So I technically didn't qualify to work for <laughs> Coke. And really all my education at Brandeis qualified me to do was to go to graduate school. And so I thought, well, I'll go be a lawyer because why not? Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then decided since I had majored in um, American studies and history that I wanted to come out west and see what it was like to have my own westward experience and ended up here. I went to the U of A for law school and the rest is kind of family history because I met my husband and have never gotten away. Now, I'm not saying it's a wrong decision. But Jake and I probably disagree with your decision. Why did you pick U of A over, say, ASU? At the time, U of A had a better library and a better reputation. And that just shows you how old I am, that now ASU is the place everybody wants to go because they have the cool new school and, you know, great location downtown in Phoenix near the courts and access to, you know, the premier legal minds in the state. Not that they don't exist in Tucson, Yuma, and Flagstaff, but, you know, everybody wants to practice in Maricopa County, so. So if you were redoing it now, you would have made the right choice. Exactly. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. And I, actually, I think one of my sons is going to go to ASU, so we'll we'll have that familial rivalry, yeah. ASU versus U of A, so. It's no rivalry. ASU just kills them. <laughs> <laughs> Even in basketball last year, that's a rough one. I've uh, I've got one at each, so. That yeah, uh, house you know. divided definitely exists, but yeah. they're both girls and they're both, I mean, they're not like super into athletics, you know, so it's not like, I don't know. It's not painful. It's, no, it's not right. painful, but it's still fun. No doubt about it. Um, so uh, attorneys are um, argumentative by nature. Right. I mean, do you fall in that category? You think? Um, You know, I think it's kind of a misnomer. If you're going to be a trial lawyer, then yes, being argumentative is wonderful. And I do fall into that category. But my husband is really not, doesn't love trial work. He's more of a behind the scenes, let me read the law and talk to you civilly in a tone that doesn't require a lot of hand gestures and, you know, exclamations coming out of your mouth. And I think there's a place in the law for pretty much anyone who really likes to read and and likes the idea of trying to help people besides billing for, you know, all they can. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned your husband's an attorney also. He is. We met in law school. It was was quite the cute romance. We uh, got engaged while we were both taking the family law class at U of A, and our teacher just thought it was so cute and had to announce that we were engaged. It was kind of embarrassing, but yeah. (laughs) 
Well, your description of him sounds like Atticus Finch. And that's exactly what people call him. And I've yelled at him for years (laughs) because he has taken literally trays of baklava and hummus in payment for law (laughs) services. And um, but I really admire that because I always say that I think he's smarter than me because he has to know the law and the, the case law and the rules and all for many different types of law. And I pretty much have the experience as a criminal prosecutor and then as an administrative attorney. So, um, and he tries to do the right thing for his clients, not just leaving them after a decision is made, but helping them process what they've been required to do either by a civil court or, or in a criminal setting. And I think that makes him a stand up guy. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I just can't imagine two attorneys being married and arguing and I just there's so much you can go into well it's so (laughs) funny because I don't really think there's much arguing going on in our house I say this is what we're gonna do and he says okay (laughs) but my oldest son definitely takes after me Uh, and and man he he would he wearies me with his ability to spit back what I said six years ago. Well, in February of 2006, <laughs> you said this. And, you know, I'm like, dude, you got skills. You should think about law school. Yeah, but, keep that in mind. Yeah, I don't know. He he uh, he insists he wants to maybe be a geologist. So we'll see. For some reason, I feel the argument just has like objection in the middle of it. And so, <laughs> you got to have a judge around. Sustained. Right. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has to be heard at my house. I imagine. Yeah. Keeps it interesting, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, that was some really good backstory. Let's talk about the BTR a little sure. bit. Um, first of all, for those listening, you know, may not know what the BTR does. So if you can just kind of summarize maybe a little bit. Sure. Uh, the Board of Technical Registration is technically an administrative agency that has a responsibility of determining if certain professions, specifically architecture, engineering, land surveying, geology, landscape architecture, home inspection, and fairly new to us, the alarm industry, if there are their applicants are qualified to practice up to a minimum standard that's set through education, testing, and experience. And then once we determine that and grant licenses to individuals in those categories, we set them loose upon the public, and the public can contact us and say, I think Joe Architect did a really bad job. And then we're charged through investigation to determine if that person really did practice up to the standard or if their practice fell below, like they forgot to do something or they did something wrong that endangered the public. And as a result, after that determination, the board can impose penalties on people's professional ability to practice, and they can even take the license away by revoking that privilege. And... um, The board does that. It also sets policies. So we'll go to the legislature and say, in order to regulate these professions, we need a new rule that says this. And we have to lobby and explain why we think that rule is important and how it won't overburden people and how it will benefit the public. And we hear... um, comment from people from the community interested in the professions and we also um, make sort of I guess legal determinations about whether somebody violated the practice act so we act as almost like a fourth branch of government and all state admin agencies do this 
They act like an executive in granting licenses. They act like a judiciary in ruling on um, complaints. And they act more like a legislature when, it, when they consider whether to adopt rules and make changes to state statutes to better regulate the professions to protect the public. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot That's going a on there. There's a lot going on there. Probably lost everyone so listening. So the, uh, <laughs> the board itself is made up of nine, nine, members nine members that represent the big five professions. The home inspectors have their own um, standalone committee but are not sitting on the board because they don't have the same technical knowledge and skill to rule on applicant qualifications for architecture, surveying, engineering, that sort. And again, they can't really, they don't have the knowledge base to rule upon the complaints that we receive where we have to determine whether practice was up to snuff. And then the alarm industry, um, I would argue, really could be better regulated at Department of Public Safety because the only real requirement to be an alarm agent in Arizona is to pass a DPS background check. So you have to be free of criminal history. And um, that just opens up a whole new can of worms about is it regulatory reform and what smart regulation and how can we do things better? So I um, had, got, had a couple of questions from members of our professional organization, United Surveyors of Arizona. And one of them was if you could explain what the term sunset means. Sure. It's a legal term that the legislature creates when they create a new administrative agency. So when they create the agency, they go through a sunrise process where they talk to people, they hear about the need for a particular industry or profession to be regulated, and they grant that agency they create a certain amount of time in which to practice to determine whether public is better served by them being in positions of authority and granting the licenses and regulating the profession. And in that time, say for instance, eight years, at the end of that eight-year period, the agency comes before the legislature and says, in a sunset hearing, here's why we did what we did the past eight years, hopefully justifying their existence, but also giving the public the opportunity to come in and say both positive and negative things about what has happened in that eight-year period. So agencies are governed by sunrise and sunset statutes. And right now we're in sunset. Well, we're not. we're not. Our agency survived Sunset in 2016. Okay. We were renewed for another eight years. So the legislature determined we were serving the public interest. So we're not due for Sunset again until 2024. Okay, that's good. So was there another yeah. sunrise or it was just you guys no. were renewed? No, we were renewed. The only time there might be need for Sunrise is if the legislature wants to add a new profession to us to regulate. So there was some sunrise activity when we assume responsibility for the home inspectors in the year 2000 and the alarm industry in 2013. So if there's like a full moon, does that mess up anything? <laughs> well, my staff would say that brings out all the charming characters <laughs> that we see and hear from each individual profession that we regulate. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh land surveyors um looking at 
some of the current statistics, there's 1,283 active land surveyors in Arizona and 236 registered land surveying firms. Sounds about right. And uh, those numbers are heading in a, in a, in a downward direction, and yes. not just in Arizona. It's, uh, it's, it's happening nationally. across you know, the states and abroad, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that since I've been with the board. I think in 2009, when I started, there were probably about 1,700 surveyors. So that number's diminished over time. And the median age of registered surveyors in Arizona is 65. So that has a lot you're so young. Yeah, I know. That, I know. I love it. Yeah. I finally get to feel young. It is interesting, though, because I'll sit in these meetings with these guys that have been surveying in Arizona for a lot longer than I have. And I'm like the young guy in the room and yeah. I'm, you know, 52 years old. Yeah. And I'm just like, I still feel young. Right, this shot. is great. Yeah. <laughs> I just sit back and listen to these guys yeah. with all this wisdom. It's interesting. I mean, it's definitely a profession, I think, that's been really impacted by the advancements in technology, you know, drones and aerial photography and you know, even even the use of basic computers, the tools of the trade have changed so much that um, I think the profession's going to have to rethink how they do things to, you know, stay up with, with yeah. that. But it's still a so, such a cool profession. I mean, historically, Lewis and Clark and Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, those guys surveyed our country. And, you know, because of Thomas Jefferson, we're set up west of the Mississippi as a public land state where everything's kind of rectangular. Whereas from New England, where I grew up, it's a mess. It was it's meets and bounds like, you know, okay, your property extends from that tree and that creek around the corner to the big red barn, you know, and, um, you know, it's got some historic charm. Absolutely. I got to say, I'm impressed with the. The, the language you just threw out there, yeah, you know, yeah. the rectangular uh, state, and uh, it's great. There's some surveyors that wouldn't even know that stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, good. That's good stuff. Um, what's, uh, what's a typical day like for you at the BTR? At the BTR? Well, there's never really one typical day, but I think if I were to describe it, I would say everything we do is pretty much geared towards the one day a month when the board members come to the board to act on certain applications and to hear the complaints and interact with the public. So my typical day would be looking at crazy emails, which can come in from the public, from the legislature, from the governor's office, from Kent, from (laughs) other interesting people, um, asking and answering questions about what the board is and what we're doing. Um, I will interact with the attorney general's office to figure out what they're doing about, you know, prosecuting somebody who we think has done something wrong and needs to answer for it. Um, I, um, am, I talk a lot during the day. That's what I, I could say. I, I talk a lot. Talk and email. Train talking. And email. Right. Yeah. And write. I like, I write lots of letters and all that. Are you uh, on a first name basis with the governor? No, I am not. No. Well, his name's Doug. I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other question I received from a U.S. of AZ member. Uh, you know, there's this constant threat, not just in Arizona, but nationally uh, about deregulation mm-hmm. of a, a lot of professions, which, of course, in my opinion, would be a disaster. But that being said, um, do you ever foresee the requirements for becoming a surveyor in this case in Arizona to either increase or decrease? Like, do you foresee 
I don't know how it could decrease anymore, to be honest with you, in right. Arizona. But do you ever do you do you foresee us requiring uh, post secondary education of any type? Well, I know um, many of our sister states actually require education. Arizona is one of the states that doesn't. They will license um, any of the big five professions we regulate with just eight years of experience that's verified by, you know, someone who's been your supervisor who can say, yeah, I know this person really knows how to measure and stake things properly. Um, and that's because of our Wild West roots where, you know, your property is your domain. And that's still very much alive and well in Arizona compared to other states like even even Utah or New Mexico, our neighbors. So I, I don't think there'll ever be a diminishment of requirements for registration because somebody's title to their land is really important and there's a certain amount of knowledge training and experience that has to go into establishing where the boundaries of that property is and I think what we're looking at in surveying that may pose as a challenge are some of the tools that are certainly developing with technology over the time over time and I think the professionals who want to call themselves registered surveyors are going to have to embrace the new tools that come down the road. I know you're going to talk with uh, one of our board members, Jason Foos, next week, and he has this great saying, no rules for tools. Um, he does not want to go to the legislature and say, we need to include aerial mapping and photogrammetry and use of drones in our practice act because that technology may morph and change in very short order, and then we'd have to go back again. And I agree with him. I think the better generic definition of surveying is to explain what it is surveyors do and how what they do benefits the public. And so yet you may, if you talk to somebody from another state here, oh, yeah, you know, those crazy cowboys in Arizona really need rigid education and more specific, you know, requirements and statutes need to be put in place. But I don't know that Arizona's legislature will ever go there. Yeah, I, I sat in a meeting with Jason uh, probably a few months ago, and he, he said that, you know, no rules for tools. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? That's genius, right. actually. That, right. was, that was great. And the more I thought about it, the more it kind of sunk in. I'm like, yeah. it makes sense. It really does. Uh, there was a bill that passed, I think, in the last legislative session that affected uh, reciprocity. Right? I know what you're talking about. Reciprocity is the wrong legal term. Okay. Reciprocity legally implies that one state has an actual written agreement with another state and only governors can sign that. The intent was to make it easier for people who hold a profess professional license in one state if they move to another state to be able to practice that profession without jumping through a lot of hoops. The governor renamed that bill universal licensure, which is also a misnomer because that everyone just thinks that, well, I can, I just have a universal license now and I can move wherever and not get registered. And that's not the truth either. They still need to, um, if they're moving to Arizona, having practiced in another state, apply to our board and demonstrate that they're capable and qualified to practice safely. But some of the requirements are softened. That, however, I do not see applying to surveyors because Surveyors in Arizona are, even though we don't require formal education, are still required to pass two national examinations, 
which a surveyor in any state would have to pass, and then they still need to pass an Arizona state-specific exam because our terrain, our land, our boundary law, and all the rest is significantly different in Arizona than it is from California or Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. So the new law that went into effect still allows our board to require that extra exam. Good. I know there's some confusion about that. Right. And just lack of knowledge, really. Right, exactly. And I'm glad you clarified that reciprocity is not... Right. I think the better legal term, which I told the governor's office at the time, would have been endorsement, where endorsement legally means that you are acknowledging a sister state's vetting process to grant a license and saying, okay, they took certain steps. We think that's sufficient. And therefore, we're going to grant you our license, which is substantially the same. But it wasn't really called that. And I, I don't know why. You tried your best. I did. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> what are uh, what are what are some of the biggest challenges with uh, with your job? Um, I think what's challenging to me personally is, although I am ultimately responsible for what happens at my board on a day to day basis, I do not have um, ready access to the power makers in Arizona. The legislators and the governor don't necessarily want to hear from me about the best way I think we could be doing things. Um, And law, statutes, rules that are being passed without consulting me and colleagues like me at other state boards, I think are a problem because you may be, as a legislator, have a great idea for a new rule and a way to make a process easier, but without talking to stakeholders, people like me who have knowledge and experience in the process, you don't know what your unforeseen circumstances or problems that may arise after things come into effect. Whereas if we talk about these things before bills are introduced that become law, then maybe we can stave off some of those unforeseen um, upsetting consequences. So that to me is my biggest frustration. I really wish that the governor would entertain conversations with me and colleagues like me um, and stop giving regulators a bad name. It's, It's not regulators who are keeping people from working. It's other circumstances. Sure. That makes sense. Lack of ability, maybe. Right, right. You know, minor details. Right. I mean, do you really want somebody who's been convicted of molesting children to become a pediatrician in Arizona? You know, I don't think so. I'm going to pass on that one. Right. So, you know, I think it's a regulator's place to ask those questions of an applicant and say, no. I don't think that would be a good choice to grant that person that particular license. And, you know, similar applications can be made in at my board for architects and engineers. You know, does a crime, does someone who's a criminal necessarily need to be barred from a profession? Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. And if you're a responsible regulator, and I believe my board is, then you make those decisions based on as much evidence before you as you can you guys are kind of like the police where you're just trying to help the public but you get a bad reputation for it 
I think PR is seriously lacking. So yeah, I guess that's a pretty good analogy. Um, and there are some regulators who really need to be removed and some that need to be lauded for the you know good efforts that they make. And we're all people, so people right. make mistakes. Yeah, I mean, I always get a kick out of, well, no, I mean, actually it kind of makes me sad when I see some of the complaints against surveyors. You know, it's surveyor complaining about surveyor. Right. And to me... Um, you know, I was like, those things should be able to be worked out between surveyors. It should never really get to the point that it comes before the board and that type of thing. I mean, we're professionals. We need to act like professionals. We need to communicate. Um, and, uh, you know, it just... It, those things get very frustrating. It does. And actually, surveying is kind of unique among the big five professions that we regulate because you are more publicly facing as a profession than engineers, for example. You're dealing with homeowners and property owners directly, whereas an engineer may not be because he or she may be hired by an architect to help design a giant building or a bridge, and they're not going to have that personal relationship with a member of the public. Um, but I hear what you're saying about professionalism generally. If you see something wrong in a plan or a specification, maybe pick up the phone and call a colleague before you file a complaint with the regulatory board. Yeah. And air your grievance personally rather than involving the state um, but we hear all kinds of complaints so and that's why we're there and all we can do is try to get as mo as much evidence that's relevant as possible to make the decision another thing that's unique is that as as a surveyor our work is on public record at the recorder's office our right. surveys things and now whereas like an engineer an architect i mean their projects aren't on record like that, you know, right. So it's out there for, for everybody to see and other right. surveyors to, you know, uh, pull up the recorder's office right. and critique and so on and so forth. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, as surveyors, you know, I've, I've if and when I've ever had, you know, an, an issue, you know, per se with another surveyor. Um, I mean, I have always worked it out, always been able to work it out just by making a phone call and maybe you don't get you know, the response that you want immediately, but you just have to be persistent, you know, and, and, and exhaust all the avenues to make that connection and, and try to work it out amongst yourselves before you, right. you know, file a formal complaint. So. Right. I think one of the things I've really found rewarding about my job with this board compared to some of the other professions I've worked with is public protection seems to be ingrained in the big five professions from the very beginning, even if someone doesn't go to school, but in the practice, the idea is what's best for the public is almost like the first question these professionals ask. And to hear talk of, oh, regulation's a bad thing. No, it isn't. When at the core of the regulation is the idea of public protection, public safety, you know, most engineers don't want to design a bridge that's going to collapse. So they see the bigger picture before they even put pen to paper. And I think that really distinguishes the professions we regulate from some of the others that I've had experience with. Yeah, and you mentioned like the bridge collapsing. There right. was just that tragedy in uh, New Orleans where the, uh, New Orleans, I said New Orleans. New Orleans. <laughs> New Orleans where the uh, Hard Rock uh, casino and hotel. Mm -hmm. Did you guys see that? And it just collapsed. came crumbling down. And I know there's at least one fatality. Um, but I just, I just, you know, I can't imagine being a part of yeah. something like that. Um, you may remember maybe a year and a half or so ago, there was a bridge collapse in Florida at the university down there. Mm -hmm. And 
several people were killed, I want to say about six. And, you know, the question was, who was to blame? Was it the engineer? Was it the contractor? You know, and they went around and around. And I think ultimately it was determined that there were some calculations that were done improperly. So the engineers who worked on that bridge are going to have some serious answers to provide. Wow. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, I mean, you know, our board often says, well, if something goes wrong on one of our projects, hundreds of people are impacted. And whereas with a doctor, you can harm one patient. Mm -hmm. So the span of impact for our registrants is much greater than it is for the doctor, which isn't to say one patient should get hurt. Obviously, the doctor should answer for that, but the impact to the public is much greater, and I think our professionals really take that to heart yeah. in school and in practice. That's a great point. I never thought about it that way. Um, so who, switching gears just a little bit, who are the people in your life that are most influential? Who helped you get to where you are now? Um, well, definitely my husband. He's been very supportive, um, you know, and we're older than some. So for him to have a wife who's opinionated and driven and wants to go out and make a difference, I think could be a challenge. I mean, I'm not a piece of cake wife. So he's been pretty supportive and understanding. Um, and my kids, because I've traveled for work. I'm up sometimes late working on projects that took away from, from them. Like, I didn't participate in Boy Scout campouts. I hear about that all the time. And I keep saying, well, I'm saving for therapy, not for college. So tell your therapist that. But, you know, those are, are definitely um, the people I would say have had the biggest impact on me. Professionally, I can say I wanted to be a lawyer because of women like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sandra Day O'Connor because I really admired the fact that they could think rationally and what they said and what they did made a huge difference for millions of people in our country. So that to me was very inspirational. Do you have any uh, professional goals that you haven't attained yet? Yes, actually. I think that because I've worked for the state forever since I was a toddler, that soon I'll be eligible for retirement. And I would like to start my own consulting firm and offer a broader range of perspective to anyone and everyone. Um, I could consult as a lawyer, I could consult as an administrator, as a regulator, um, as a lecturer in any number of ways. I mean, part of what I really liked about doing my job is hearing the cases, the one-on-one -on -one investigations where people are harmed. And what do you learn from that? How do you communicate that to people? How do you help them? And so I'm looking forward to that chapter of my life, being able to see if I can really be successful on my own because I've only ever worked for a government agency, you know. So I admire the folks that can go and be self-made. And I want to see if I can do that before my end comes. She wants to get to those billable hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, earlier. you know, don't forget, I'm married to Atticus Finch. So, <laughs> although I don't expect to take hummus and baklava in payment for, no, you're not for that services. Nice, huh? But no. And, you know, I've been a regulator for so long. I think I've learned a thing or two about helping agencies run more effectively and better. So um, maybe I can work outside of Arizona, you know. <sighs> 
taking what I've learned and helping other agencies or helping individuals who have to appear before agencies. So we'll see. Yeah. Do you see yourself living anywhere else but Arizona? Um, you know, probably a few years ago, I would have said no. But now, having traveled and having been from New England and moving, I think the answer would be yes. And I am particularly fond lately of the Pacific Northwest, particularly Oregon. I really, really enjoy Oregon in all its many facets and colors. And I often do dream about going back to Boston because I am a Red Sox fan. So <laughs> I don't know what, what life will bring. My husband doesn't like Boston, so maybe Oregon. But you yeah. never know. I think I'll always be in Arizona in some mm -hmm. way, shape, or form because I think my kids are going to be here. So, uh, let's see. What, is there anything that you know now that if you knew when you were younger might have changed the course of your career? The old back to the future question. Yeah. The old back to the future. Um, professionally, I don't, I don't think so because I've really liked being involved in government work, working for the public and not working for a particular client. But I think if I were to tell my younger self what to do, I might say, don't sweat the small stuff as much. Look at the bigger picture because I'm older and more seasoned now than um, I was, which isn't to say I take that advice to heart now, but I think that perspective is important. Um, I worried a lot about things I couldn't change when I was young, which I think many of us are guilty of, but, um, and ask for help more and accept help. Like you guys were joking before about, hiring people to do those techie things. I've learned that, you know, whereas before being kind of a type A personality, I would have had to have known everything yeah. and handled it all myself. And I don't think one individual can do that effectively and be a human being at yeah. the end of the day. No, I think that's a great point. And I, I always tell people the same thing. I mean, I, throughout my career up until probably about 10 years ago, I was such a control freak and I didn't yeah. think anybody else could do the job as well as I could or as perfect as I could. But as soon as I let that go and said, you know what, I'm going to start hiring people that are better than me at something. Right. It just freed up and it just allowed me to grow as a professional that much. More. And I think it makes you a better leader because a leader is somebody, not a manager, but somebody who encourages people with differences and better skills and different skills to come together to hear as much as you can about a given idea or perspective. And then you make the, the decision. Um, it isn't forcing people to do what you think is right all the time because you're not always right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now, this is, this has become a recurring question and I like this one a lot. Um, we've had, Bring value and make friends. Train past the finish line. Do you have a mantra, something like that, that you live by? A catchy line for us to throw in the mix. Do what you like and like what you do. All right. It's key to happiness right, right, right there. On, right on the, on the top of her head. Like I'm it. impressed. Well, yeah, we had to like write a, like a journal of these. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I stole it. that yeah. from the Life is Good company, so I give oh, them yeah. credit for that. Uh, but it's a motto that... <laughs> 
meant a lot to me over the years. So that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely, it does. Um, anything else? I mean, Ryan, do you have any questions? Any other questions? I think she's nailed this one. Yeah, this I, I great. know way more than I ever did about the BTR. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> I respect what you do a whole lot more Very than I ever realized. Melissa, is there anything else you'd like to add to the discussion? No, just to say that I'm really lucky to work with quite a group of creative, smart caring people and they've made me a better director a better person and hopefully contributing to the community is something that um i i think we all wish for but i like to say i think over my my career i've done in some small way so thank you for a chance to chat this afternoon absolutely and thank you so much i mean personally um you know i've gotten to know you pretty good over the last few years and uh you know i appreciate everything you've done for for me for our profession for the united surveyors of arizona organization um you've just been a great resource for 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 us and the uh the communities that you serve so thank you for your service thank you for everything you do i'm sure it feels uh unappreciated at time at times but um you know, speaking speaking for a lot of people, we uh, we we appreciate uh, everything you do for us. Thank, so you. thank you, thank, thank you, you very much. Now that the serious stuff's out of the way, the silly question everybody gets asked this one as well. Um, one sandwich for the rest of your life: sloppy Joe, peanut butter and jelly, or grilled cheese? Definitely peanut butter and jelly. Uh, that's a popular one. Absolutely, yep, that yep. sloppy Joe is just never going to get traction. Uh, that's right. I got one at Tally's now. Don't worry about him. Oh yeah, he texts the owner himself. <laughs> Sloppy Joe, please. It came to fruition last week and it was probably the uh, best Sloppy Joe in the Valley. Just because you can't find them anywhere, so it's the best. You got to make them at home and that's just no fun. It's no fun. Now <laughs> you can have somebody else do it for you. There we go. Uh, Another fantastic episode. Um, again, thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, before we get out, got to plug the uh, XYHT podcast called Measure This. And I just heard that NSPS is going to have a podcast called Surveyor Says. So that be on the lookout for that as well. Uh, in the meantime, another shout out to Social Hall. If you guys haven't been here, the food's great. Executive Chef Jason Diaz is doing some great things with the menu. So come check it out. Northeast corner of uh, University of McClintock. And you can find us at thegeoholics.com. And so much better. So much better. And look for us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook really soon, especially with our new hire. You will see a new, whole new branding. Whole new branding, yep. Kohler's, of course. Thanks again for allowing us to use Dangerous. Be safe, everyone.